Now that's a pretty big harp, but a harp was used by prophets in the days of old. Why? Here is a bust of a Greek philosopher called Epikoros. From there came the Jewish name Epikoros, Epikoros for an heretic. What has that got to do with prophecy? Are there prophets today? Here is a newspaper clipping from before the Six-Day War in Hebrew. What has that got to do with prophecy? Good afternoon, it's Rabbi Heshe here. It's Tuesday, 12.15 p.m. time for Lunch and Learn, where we take a topic and we explore it for 60 minutes or so using a source sheet with Torah sources and delve into the topic from the sources themselves. So join me for Lunch and Learn. This is number 215, and today's topic is false prophets or prophecy. Are there prophets today? What is a prophet? How does one or can one become a prophet? What is the process? What is the experience of prophecy like? Do we believe in prophecy? All of these questions we will touch upon. Of course, this is a very vast subject in Jewish literature, but we'll try to get some of the important pointers from the sources. <clears throat> Welcome, Gary. Nice to have you back. Welcome, everybody joining on live and those that will be tuning in as well as those listening on our podcast on Spotify. And as usual, we have a source sheet. Today's source sheet is divided into four sections. We'll first look at the role of a prophet. We'll then look at the process of becoming a prophet and what the experience is like. Then we will look at defining a legitimate prophet versus a uh, versus a false prophet and then we'll talk about prophecy in today's day and age many years after uh, the bible the torah was already canonized do we have prophets so join me as uh, we're going to jump uh, we're going to jump in these are important questions and uh, as we will see these are from the fundamental ideas of our faith as a jewish people so to name some prophets, as we're getting warmed up here, although Brian, the prophets are like Moses, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, Hezkel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel the prophet, King Solomon was a prophet, King David was a prophet, you have some women, you have Deborah, Devorah, you have uh, Miriam, you have um, Hulda, there's many, many prophets that we are familiar with from their books. So uh, today we will talk about what is this idea of prophecy and let's get some of the terminology straight. So in Hebrew, a prophet is a navi. Navi is prophet. Nevi'im are prophets in plural. A woman who is a prophetess is a nevi'a. In plural, it would be nevi'ois. And prophecy is nevu'a. Prophecy. So today's first question is, do normal Jews believe in prophecy? So we're going to begin with our source sheet on this post. There is a link to today's source sheet or in your email inbox if you're on our list. And uh, we're going to go through the sources one by one. And hopefully after 60 minutes or so, we will emerge with a better understanding of the topic of prophecy. And if we can do anything to become a prophet ourselves. So source number one. It is one of the foundations of our faith that God conveys prophecy to man. This is from the Rambam Maimonides. He wrote 13 principles of faith, the Yud Gimel Ikrim, or they're known as the Animamins, the 13 beliefs, the foundations of the Jewish faith, in Maimonides' opinion. So he writes, it is one of the foundations of our faith, the foundation, the, the structural foundation of the whole Jewish faith is, or one of them, one of these foundations is that God conveys prophecy to man, which means that God communicates, even after he created the world, he continues to communicate to humanity, and he communicated messages to man. Otherwise, uh, the Jewish religion doesn't, doesn't get off the ground. God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he spoke to Moses, he spoke to all of the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, there was a communication, there was prophecy. So that is one of the 
tenets of our faith. And in fact, one who denies the existence of prophecy is an epikoros and does not have a portion in the world to come. So an epikoros, as we saw the bust, and I'll show it again here, this is a bust of a Greek philosopher whose name was Epikoros, and of course his um, philosophies contradicted Torah values and Torah views, and hence, since then, anybody, any Jew who has is a, who's a heretic and doesn't believe in the foundations of Judaism is referred to as a Epikoros, and the Mishnah tells us that an Epikoros, the one who denies, the, does not have a portion in the world to come. So there are various um, qualifications for being an Epikoros. And one of them is one who denies the existence of prophecy is labeled an Epikoros and he does not have a portion in the world to come. So it's really severe. We see that the belief in prophecy is definitely a Jewish belief. The concept that God communicates, communicated, communicates with mankind is one of the foundations of our belief. And if we don't, God forbid, such a person does not have a portion in the world to come. Source number two. Where does this model of God speaking to people come from? So it actually is in the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the fifth book, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, is talking to the Jewish people and he says to them like this. Moses was the first leader. 40 years he led the Jewish people. He was the intermediary. He was the middleman between God and the Jewish people, bringing the messages from God to the people. Now, in fact, when the Jewish people stood at Mount Sinai, they had direct prophecy. They had direct communication from God. They heard God saying the Ten Commandments. Source number two, Moses tells the Jewish people, you asked of the Lord in Chorev, Chorev is another name for Sinai, but the sign at Mount Sinai, you asked the Lord, let me not continue to the, hear the voice of the Lord so that I will not die. The Jewish people were too overwhelmed by hearing God say the Ten Commandments. It was such a powerful revelation that their souls cannot remain in their bodies. It was too... Uh, overwhelming for them. And they requested for Moses to ask from God that Moses to take over and kind of be the one speaking to God and receiving the messages from God and just relay that to the people because hearing it directly from God was just too overwhelming. And the Lord said, he agreed. Well, Moses was the first prophet and he said, forever, for all future time, I will set up a prophet for them from among their brothers like you. And I will put my words into his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. This is in the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 18. So the model comes from the request of the Jewish people themselves. Jewish people themselves were all prophets. All three million Jews at Mount Sinai prophesied. They received notifications. They received messages from God, the Ten Commandments, or at least the first two were very explicit. But the Jews, they could not handle it. And they requested from Moses to be their... God's spokesperson. God will communicate to Moses and Moses will communicate to the Jewish people, which God agreed to. And he said, not just you, Moses, but subsequent generations will have the same. They will have a prophet who I will communicate and command my instructions, my messages to, and they will give that over to the Jewish people. So this model is set out in the Torah. And that is the translation of the word Navi, Prophet in Hebrew, Navi means a spokesperson, a speaker, somebody who delivers a message to the people, and in this case, a message that he received from the Creator, from Hashem. Hello, Shaya, hello, Jody, and Roy. We're talking today about prophecy. So we're on to source number three, and this role of a prophet was in every generation. You had Moses, afterwards, you had Joshua, his successor. You had Shemuel, Samuel the prophet. You had King David and King Solomon. You had Saul who was a prophet. You had later generations, Yirmiyahu or Jeremiah. You had Yechezkel or Ezekiel. You had Yeshayahu. You had Isaiah. You had Jonah the prophet. You had many. You had Elijah the prophet. You had Daniel the prophet. These were all prophets. And you also had women like Miriam who was a prophetess communicating to the Jewish people in their generations the message of God. What exactly was their function? What kind of messages? Source number three 
He has revealed his secret to his servants, the prophets. This is a quote from Amos, which is one of the books of the prophets. And he says that a prophet is somebody who God reveals his secrets to. So a prophet may be privy to information that the rest of the people do not have. A prophet will experience prophecy for his own sake alone, to increase his knowledge, or he will be sent to one of the nations of the world to inform them what they should do or to prevent them from continuing evil. So Maimonides, in his code, has four chapters dedicated to prophecy. And here's a quote from Maimonides, saying that it can be for the prophet's personal broadening of his knowledge of uh, spiritual and mystical ideas. But usually he would share that with others. For example, uh, Yechezkel, Ezekiel, had a vision of the heavenly chariot known as Maise Merkava, what was going on in the heavenly spheres, and he related that and he documented that and he shared that with others. So that was uh, one method. Or in, for a mission, God would give him a message, give the prophet a me- message. He was sent to the Jewish people, he was sent to a group of Jewish people, he was sent to another nation, we have the story of Jonah, Yonah, which we read on Yom Kippur. He was sent to a non-Jewish nation. He was sent to the Assyrians in the city of Nineveh. And he told them that if they do not repent and they do not improve their ways, they were very corrupt, then God will punish them and the whole city will be turned over. And indeed, they heeded the call and they did repent. That is the role of the prophets. To guide the people, to inspire them, to warn them of impending destruction if they do not better their ways, perhaps to comfort them. The book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies about the times of Mashiach comforting the Jewish people that there will be good times ahead. They were also an address for individuals. If an individual needed to find the lost article. We have a story of the father of King Saul whose donkeys were lost and they went to Samuel the prophet to see if he can, with his vision and his prophecy, kind of locate those donkeys, which he did, or he told them that the donkeys uh, were never really lost and so on. But we find that even not just for the masses, but also for an individual case, the prophet um, had a function. Source number four. Remember the teachings of Moses. This is another quote from a prophet, Malachi, which sums up the job of a prophet to guide and encourage the people to stick and be loyal and devoted to the teachings of Moses, to the teachings of the Torah. He is not coming to establish a new faith or add or withdraw a mitzvah, but rather to command the people to fulfill the precepts of the Torah. So if the Jewish people are slacking off, which unfortunately happens and happens and is happening uh, during the first temple era, the Jewish people were into idol worship. And the prophets of the time were constantly reprimanding the Jewish people to refrain, to avoid idol worship. Otherwise, there's going to be punishment. There's going to be enemies coming into the land, starting wars. There's going to be the destruction of the temple. So that was the job of the prophet, not to introduce new laws, new religions, or withdraw and say certain parts of the original Torah are not applicable any uh, anymore. No. The job of the prophet is merely to encourage the people and guide them towards fulfilling the Torah and the mitzvahs the way they are laid out by Moses in the Torah. Source number five. Since the Torah was already given at Mount Sinai, we do not regard a divine voice. This is an amazing passage of the Talmud. There was a story, there was a debate between two of the Tanaim, two of the sages of the Mishnah, I believe it was uh, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Shua and others, and they were debating the, the laws of purity and impurity, and a heavenly voice rang out saying the halacha is like Rabbi Eliezer, like one side. And the sages said, or I believe it was Rabbi Yeshua, that once the Torah was given at Mount Sinai to us, the Jewish people, heaven has no authority over it. The heaven laid out that prophecy and any kind of 
communication from God does not interfere with Jewish law. Jewish law was already told to us in the Torah at our original prophecy from Moses that it will never be changed. So just because they said to follow Rebbe Lezer, well, the Torah tells us we go by the majority. So we have to take account, we take a vote of all the sages, and if the sages, if the majority of the sages do not side with Rebbe Lezer, we do not regard what the heavenly voice told us. Because the heavenly voice in any kind of prophecy is not here to interfere with the laws of the Torah. The laws of the Torah were given to us on Mount Sinai, and that is sealed. That cannot be changed, because the Torah itself says it will never be changed. The revealed things, as we continue in Source 5, the revealed things apply to us, and to our children forever, that we must fulfill all the words of this Torah. It is an everlasting statute for all your generations. And this is repeated often in the Torah, that the laws of the Torah are eternal. They do not change. God does not change, and His laws do not change. Well, we have to apply it to different cases, but the core principles of the Torah do not change. The Torah says you follow majority, we follow the majority, and we don't regard any heavenly voices. So if a prophet comes, and we'll talk about how to... Um, figure out what is an authentic pro- prophet and what is a, who is a false prophet. But for now, the role, we're talking here, what the role of a prophet, the prophet's role is not to initiate new laws and not to withdraw any laws of the Torah. The Torah laws are eternal. The job of the prophet is to encourage the Jewish people to stick to the original Torah and the original commandments. Source number six, many prophets arose for the Jewish people. Double the number of Israelites who left Egypt. That means 1.2 million, because there were 600,000 men that left Egypt. 1.2 million prophets. Now, that would make our scriptures very long if every prophecy was documented. However, only prophecy that was needed for future generations was written down for posterity. So there were many individuals who experienced prophecy, and we'll soon see exactly how that process takes place. But most of those was for their personal broadening of their knowledge and relationship with God. Or it was a one-time prophecy which had no reason to be documented for eternity because that message was a timely message for that generation, for that person, for that area in that period in history. And there was no reason for it to be transcribed and canonized in the Torah. So there were many prophecies. There was 1.2 million prophets. But 48, continuing, 48 prophets and 7 prophetesses prophesied that we know their names, and they neither subtracted from nor added onto the Torah. So in the Torah, it is listed the names of 48 men and and 7 women, a total of 55 prophets and prophetesses that we know about by name. That's a fraction of the 1.2 million. And from all of these prophets put together, only the prophets and the prophecies specifically, which are important for all of eternity, were written down in the Torah, in the books of the prophets, in the books of the scriptures, and are included in the Torah. So that sums up our first section here. What is the role of a prophet? Yes, it is from the foundation of the Jewish faith to believe in prophecy. The role of a prophet is that God communicates to them messages for the people, for themselves, or for the people. And we have many examples of that. For example, uh, King David was told by the prophet God that he shall build the temple in Jerusalem for God. And all of the details that were in addition to the temple that Moses built, the Mishkan in the desert, were told to him from God. That's just one example. King David and King Saul were anointed by the prophet Samuel, who God told Samuel to go to the house of Yishai, the father of David, and anoint one of his sons. And exactly which son? And he told him to anoint King Saul. So these were all through prophecy. You have Ezekiel, Yechezkel, who prophesied for the Jewish people after the destruction of the first temple, comforting them and instructing them to build houses in Bavel. Maybe it was Jeremiah, if I'm getting mixed up, but one of those prophets. So 
for hundreds of years, there were prophets. Now, who doesn't want to make a prophet? Who doesn't want to be a prophet? P-H-E-T. How does one become a prophet? What was the criteria? How was one eligible for prophecy? And how did that happen step by step? I wanted to feel like. So I am not a prophet, but my Maimonides and sources in the Torah and the Talmud tell us more about this prophecy experience. So we'll move on to our second section. <clears throat> Number seven. Hello, Ronnie. Hello, Yair. Hello, Mark. Hello, everybody joining on in our lesson today. It's good to see everybody. So we're continuing with prophecy. So prophecy is bestowed only upon a wise sage of a strong character who is never overcome by his natural inclinations. It must also possess a very broad and accurate mental capacity. God rests his presence only upon one who is mighty and wealthy and wise and humble. So here are some of the qualifications. Um, the virtues to be worthy of prophecy. So being wise, being an outstanding Torah scholar, not just wise like street smart or knowledgeable, but in Torah, a Every one of the Jewish prophets was outstanding in their Torah knowledge. King David, Moses, all of them. They were great Torah scholars. They were wise. Humble. The Torah tells us about Moses, that he was the most humble man that ever lived. And he experienced the greatest level of prophecy. Wise, humble, wealthy, and mighty. Why would wealthy and mighty be important? So we'll get to that in a moment. Excuse me. But also being a very strong character, being very pious, never being overcome by natural inclination, never being selfish or getting angry or anything of that sort, being very patient, understanding, compassionate, selfless, observing every mitzvah to its greatest detail perfectly, being very pious, such a person is eligible to start the process of becoming a prophet. Being a vessel to receive God's prophecy. Source number eight. I said of laughter, it is praiseworthy. This is from the book of Kohelis, Ecclesiastes. Why is laughter praiseworthy? Because we see that when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Elisha was one of the prophets. He was a disciple of Elijah the prophet who lived during the first temple era. And if he was in a state of melancholy or depressed or sad or angry, the divine spirit would not rest on him. And therefore, many prophets had a harp, a... Um, instrument, musical instrument to be played before them in order to calm them and bring them joy and serenity for them to be able to experience the prophecy. To teach you that the Holy Spirit only rests on a happy heart. In fact, we mentioned Jonah before. Jonah, Talmud tells us that he experienced the prophecy to go to Nineveh, the Assyrians, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. What He experienced that prophecy when he was at a very joyous occasion on the holiday of Sukkot the Simchat Beit HaShoeva in the temple, which was the most joyous occasion in temple times. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why a prophet needs to be wealthy and mighty, so that way he has no anxieties, he has no worries, he has no fears, he has what he needs, He's oh, whether it means that he actually has to have lots of gold and a big bank account, or it means that he's very content with what he has. He, he's not la he feels like he's not lacking anything. There should be total serenity and total kind of confidence um, at peace to be able to receive this uh, experience. And then once he is um, in that state and he fits this criteria, you know, th then he is worthy of, of coming even closer to God than, than the rest of us because you know, God is happy. A child is naturally happy. 
happiness comes as a result of uh, we're not happy with certain situation. You know, God, everything is just perfect, so there's happiness. If want, for one to come close to God, we need to have that godly kind of mood of just being happy with everything. Because from a God's perspective, everything is perfect. Everything has a reason and there's no suffering and, and so on. Once that is uh, in place, source number nine, he must diligently train himself not to have any thoughts whatsoever about fruitless things or the vanities of the times. His mind should constantly be directed upward, bound beneath God's throne of glory, studying and meditating and contemplating the mystical ideas and the greatness of God and all these kind of things. He trains and he practices. After these preparations, the divine spirit will immediately rest upon him. And there were actually schools of prophecy, just like you go to school to yeshiva. They were called the B'nai Hanavim, the, the sons of the, of the prophets. Not literally, but people aspiring to becoming prophets and going in the ways and training themselves with coaches and mentors. It was a whole uh, movement of those that would work on themselves, practice to achieve prophecy. Source number 10, the Spirit of God will descend upon you and you will be transformed into a different person. This is Samuel, the prophet, telling Shaul, King Saul, that he will become a prophet and later the king, the first king of all the Jewish people, and he describes it that you will be transformed into a different person. When the Spirit rests upon him, his soul becomes intermingled with the angels called Ishim, and he will understand with a knowledge different from what it was previously. So there are ten levels of angels. There are various names for the angels. Chayoi, Sefania, Kodesh, Srofin, these are different names in Hebrew. For, there are ten levels of angels. And the lowest level is called Ishim, which means men, because they're the angels that interact and communicate messages to to uh, to the prophet. So, yes, it's God, I guess, through the angels, because angels are just kind of God's agents. They have no kind of will of their own. They're just an expression of God. But that's the lowest level. They're called Ishim. And there are various levels of prophets. Some experience higher levels of prophecy, some lower. Just like in, in a sage, you know, there's wiser, more knowledgeable, more... a greater chacham, greater... In knowledge, less so to a prophecy. There were different levels of prophets. You know, Moses was the greatest prophet. Um, Obadia, Obadia is known to be one of the smaller prophets or lower level kind of prophets. But all prophets are in one category, and Moses is in a separate category. Source number 11. They all achieve prophetic. Visions only in a visionary dream or during the day after slumber has overtaken them. They do not prophesy whenever they desire. Even though they concentrate their attention, it is possible that the divine presence will rest upon them and it is possible that it will not. So here Maimonides starts to make a division between all prophets and Moses. All prophets, their prophecy is in a vision. Maybe it's by day, maybe it's by night. But they kind of detach themselves during this prophecy experience from their physical body. Well, of course, they're alive, but they have uh, a weakening of the senses of the body. They're totally kind of the soul. They're like a being of the soul and totally in tune to that being. And they, some of them would take their clothings off. They would roll. They would they would be like 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 a crazy guy during that experience. It was so overwhelming. And even what they saw was like a dream. Like it was like imaginative. Imaginative. It was uh, they saw an idea. A, a certain thing would a certain message would just kind of be crystal clear to them that this is a message from God. So it wasn't like God was actually. Uh, having a conversation with them, but they would see an idea, they would see either like like, like an analogy or a metaphor or a certain image, like we you know Jacob, he saw the ladder going, angels up and down, that was, and it was very clear to him, the message of the ladder, and that, you know, he, he would re- relay that message. 
That was all the prophets. And not whenever they desired did they get this prophecy. Ultimately, even after all the preparations, it was up to God to give the prophecy or to withhold the prophecy. Moses was very different. Source number 12, there was no other prophet who arose in Israel like Moshe. The Torah testifies that there was never a prophet as great as Moses. The Lord would speak to Moshe face to face as a man would speak to his companion. Moses' mental power was sufficient to comprehend the words of prophecy while he was standing in a composed state. Whenever he desired, the Holy Spirit would envelop him and prophecy would rest upon him. So Moses is in a totally separate category. He didn't see things in a metaphor. It wasn't only when God desired. Whenever he desired, the way he was composed as a regular human being, he was able to experience and communicate face-to-face and talk to God. So that puts Moses in a totally different category. And it's actually another one of the, seven, of the 13 principles of faith. One principle of faith is to believe in the concept of prophecy, that God prophesies and communicates messages to mankind. A sec, that's number six, I believe. Number seven of the 13 is that Moses' prophecy is different than the rest. And he was the greatest of the prophets. And his prophecies can never be changed and so on. Everything starts with Moses. It's a totally different category. So that is our second section here. The steps to qualify and be worthy of prophecy, how it actually happened, and the difference between the different levels of prophets. We move on to our third section. Okay, so how do we know who is a true prophet? Is Muhammad or some other uh, person, are, are they prophets? Are they true prophets? How do we know? How do we know if someone is a true prophet? How do we know if this is what God is really saying? Maybe they're just making it up. Maybe they're... A farce. You know the story of a king who had a prophet who predicted that the queen is going to die in eight days. And eight days later, the queen indeed died. The king was furious. He called this advisor and he said, Jewish guy, and he said, uh, let's sit, you know, he was going to kill this man. He was furious. And he says, tell me, what do you predict? When will you die? The man realized what's going on. He said, King, I don't know what day I'm going to die, but whenever it is, three days later, the king will die. <laughs> so that was, that was a smart thing of that man to say, saving his skin. But how do we know? How do we know if somebody is truly a prophet? So we move on to our next section. Who is legitimate and who isn't? And the truth is that the Jewish people were plagued with false prophets even during biblical times. Source number 13, here's a quote from Jeremiah. It is a lie that the prophets utter in my name. Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah is prophesizing and saying from God, and we know that Jeremiah was the true prophet, but he's saying that there are other prophets who are uttering lies in God's name. In fact, the prophet who intentionally speaks a word in my name, which I did not command him to speak, shall die. The Torah is aware and predicts that there will be false prophets who claim to be a messenger from God. And God says that if they are false, they should be put to death. That's pretty harsh. Well, how do we know? We can't kill somebody. How do we know that he is false? He's claiming to say things from God. And there's no shortage of such people who claim to be fortune tellers, Sorcerers, who knows? There are all kinds of prophets out there that claim to know the future. So, the Torah does not leave us in the dark. The Torah in the book of Deuteronomy already lays out the process of how to assess, how to put a, an individual on trial to see if he is indeed a true prophet or not. Source number 14, if you say to yourself, how will we know the word that the Lord did not speak? How do we know which prophet is saying something which the Lord did not speak? If the prophet speaks and the thing does not occur, that is the thing the Lord did not speak. So we test the individual to prove, to validate his authenticity by predicting the future, and we wait and see if that prediction materializes 
then we know he is a true prophet. Source 15. He does not have to prove himself by performing wonders like Moshe. He doesn't have to bring the ten plagues and split the sea. He needs to predict the future. Should even a minute particular of his prophecy not materialize, he is surely a false prophet. You know, I can predict that tomorrow is going to be cold. Yeah, well, that's not so hard. And you might predict that it's going to snow because it's not either so hard. It's very possible. But he has to predict something which is totally out of the box, totally unexpected, and that nobody else would know besides from being a prophet. And if exactly to the detail, to the T of what he predicted comes true, then we know he is a true prophet. But even if one detail is incorrect, that is not a prophet. God doesn't make mistakes even in small details. For example, Jeremiah, in his times, there was a false prophet called Hananiah. Hananiah ben Azor. And Jeremiah prophesied that because he is prophesying falsely, he is going to die this year. He ended up dying the last day of the Jewish year before Rosh Hashanah. And Hananiah, before his death, knew that he's on his deathbed. He told his family to hide the time of his death until Rosh Hashanah, so it should be considered the next year, so that would prove Jeremiah uh, being false, because he said this year, not the day later. So that's just an example how his prediction needs to, be, needs to be true to the T. Jeremiah prophesies that after 70 years of exile, after the destruction of the first temple, the Jews will come back and rebuild the second temple. And that is exactly what happened. 70 years later is when the second temple was built. There are many such predictions. You didn't have to wait 70 years. There were many examples of them saying that tomorrow uh, rain will fall even though there was a hunger and, and a drought for, for so long. There are many examples of this in the books of the prophets. But that is the only way for a prophet to validate his authenticity by predicting the future and his prediction coming true to the T and something which is out of the box. Now, our Jewish prophets did not usually have to go through the process of being tested because a previous established prophet testified on them. So Moses, before his passing, prophesied that Joshua is, the, is a prophet. So they believed in Joshua. And Joshua, you know, for the next person and the next one, there were many, many prophets. But if there was a new prophet, then they would have to test him. Yes, we don't just take by faith. No, we would test him because the Torah says to test him. And the Torah tells us exactly how to test him. The Torah says, you tell the prophet, you know, with all due respect, okay, you're telling me this is God's message. How do I know I should listen to you? Prove it to me. Predict the future. And let me see what happens. There's, all, there's one exception. The prediction does not have to be fulfilled if it's a negative prediction. For example, in the times of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was prophesizing that the temple will be destroyed. So if that prophecy would not have been fulfilled, it would not be a strike against him. Because God could take back a punishment, but he will never take back something good even if they're not deserving no longer. Source 16, if my words are not fulfilled, this will not lead to the conclusion that I am a false prophet. Prophets of retribution, if his words do not come true, this does not nullify the validity of his prophecy. This is because God is slow to anger, abundant in kindness and forgiving of evil. So Jeremiah was a prophet. You remember, his role was to encourage Jewish people not to sin. So he was telling them, do not continue to sin sin and, and serve idols because otherwise there will be a destruction. Now, that doesn't mean there's going to be a destruction. <laughs> they might improve their ways and God will uh, be slow to anger. But this is a warning. That's the job of the prophet to warn the Jewish people or whatever people. But Hananiah is uh, the false prophet of the time. He was prophesizing that no, the, the, the exile that already went to Babel, they're going to come back. He was saying good things. So they tell Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah tells him, if your prophecy is not going to be fulfilled, it's not going to materialize, then you will be proven false. Because if it's a good prophecy, you're predicting something good and it's not coming true, that can never be nullified. 
So there is a way to test the prophet, to predict the future. Now, it's also important to take into account that Source 17, only a person who is known to be fit for prophecy beforehand and afterwards performs a sign or wonder and states that he was sent by God, it is a mystery to listen to him. The person has to be eligible. We have to know, even before this man comes and says, you know, I have a prophecy, he have, we have to know that he's eligible for prophecy, even before he predicts the future. You have to know that he's an outstanding Torah scholar, he's humble, he's pious, he's uh, in control of himself, he's, he's going in the ways of the prophets. We have to know that he could be a prophet, then we can analyze if he is a prophet, if he actually received the prophecy. By predicting the future, that will tell us if he actually had the prophecy. But if he just makes a sign or he, you know, he predicts the future, and we know this guy's a lowlife or he doesn't fit the qualifications, then we're not even going to pay attention to him. So it's not a lack of faith. The Torah itself tells us exactly how to test a prophet. Now, we don't have to keep testing. Once a prophet was tested and he predicted the future and uh, he and he fits the criteria of being a prophet, then we trust him and we have a mitzvah to listen to his instructions. On condition that what he's telling us is not contradicting the Torah. He's not uprooting a law of the Torah. So if a prophet, like, I don't know who, will come and introduce a new religion and say, well, God no longer wants us to put on tefillin and no longer wants us to keep the seventh day of the week of Shabbos, then we know this prophet is... Even if, he is, even if he is eligible, and even if he does predict the future, we know that that's not true. Because we already have established by Moses that nothing changes. Source number 18. If a prophet attempts to dispute Moses' prophecy, we should not listen to him. We know with certainty that he performed the signs through magic or sorcery. Because the prophecy of Moshe, our teacher, is not dependent on wonders wonders. Rather, we saw and heard with our own eyes and ears. Moshe is a totally different category, not just because of his level of prophecy, but we, us, all of the Jewish people witnessed Moshe prophesizing. We saw him go up on the mountain for 40 days and heard God speak to him. The Ten Commandments, you know, it's not just Moshe made a wonder, he brought the Ten Plagues. That was in the beginning. He split the sea. But later, we were all at Sinai. We saw Moses. We know Moshe is true. And Moshe told us that the Torah will never be changed. And the laws are eternal. And God doesn't change. His laws don't change. So anybody contradicting Moshe, and the Torah tells us this, that if someone comes and contradicts Moshe, then that's not a valid prophet. That's not the job of a prophet. So you may be doing wonders and miracles, predicting the future. We don't even pay attention to that. God's just testing us to see if we follow and get uh, excited about that. It's probably magic, it's sleight of hand, it's sorcery. There are all kinds of powers out there. You know, Egyptians were magicians. There were magicians out there and they making use of different powers. That does not tell us who's authentic. Source number 19. The Torah test says clearly, if there will arise among you a prophet and he gives you a sign or a wonder and he says, let us go after other gods which, have, which you have not known, let's go worship idols. In times of the temple, there were the Baal, the idol of the Baal. In times of Elijah, there were many Jews, unfortunately, who were worshipping the idols. You shall not heed the words of that prophet, for the Lord is testing you to know whether you really love the Lord. 20. If a prophet tells you to violate the precepts of the Torah, listen to him with regard to all things except the worship of false gods. This applies when his command is temporary in nature. Okay, so this gets a little technical here. Generally, the role of a prophet is to warn and encourage the Jewish people to follow the path of the Torah. Our belief in the Torah is not just because Moses performed wonders or predicted the future. It's because we personally saw how Moses went up on the mountain and God called him and gave him the, the Torah. So we're not comparing this prophet to that prophet. Moses is supreme. Moses said that the laws are eternal. All future prophets are there to strengthen the Torah, to encourage the performance of the Torah. So how do we know a prophet is authentic? If he's eligible, if he predicts the future, and what he's telling us is not contradicting the Torah. He's not saying go worship idols. The only thing that a prophet could do 
is temporarily override a Torah law. Not idol worship. Idol worship can never be overridden. But, for example, in the times of Elijah, he had a, a public debate, public mat, uh, what's it called, with the prophets of the Baal, the idol worshippers. And he brought up a sacrifice on Mount Carmel, which was forbidden. Because only in Jerusalem, in the temple, you're allowed to bring up a uh, sacrifice. But he was able to temporarily do so because he was a prophet. He didn't say it is now permitted to do so. He said, for this specific purpose, and for this specific time, I'm doing it. To teach the Jewish people a lesson. So, um, Esther was allowed to marry or uh, do certain things in the palace because Mordechai was a prophet, gave her a certain instruction. Temporary, temporarily. But a prophet which comes and says, we do not have to keep Shabbos. That's it. It's over. We do not have to put on Shabbos. We don't have to keep kosher. That, that's not a prophet. That's for sure out of the question. What a prophet could do is say, listen, it is a mitzvah to put on tefillin. Today, even though it generally is a mitzvah, today, for whatever reason, we're not going to do it in order to, for a certain reason. Which happened, you know, once in a while. But not to uproot and to negate or contradict or to abolish any of the teachings of the Torah. That brings us to our final section here. Is there prophecy today? About to find out if you and I can become a prophet. If we uh, divest ourselves from all fruitless endeavors as the qualifications are, couldn't we become a prophet? Or how come we don't, don't have a Jeremiah like we had back then? Source number 21. This is from the book of Eicha, Lamentations. We read this book on Tisha B'Av, saddest day of the year, the day that the temples were destroyed. We sit low on the floor and we say, Eicha We lament and we remember the destruction of the holy temples. In that book, written by Jeremiah, by Yirmiyahu Anavi, is this verse. Her gates are sunk into the ground, temple gates. Her king and princes are exiled among the heathens, and there is no more teaching. Moreover, her prophets obtain no vision from the Lord. So it is clear that with the destruction of the temple, there was no vision from the Lord for prophets. The Talmud says, source 22, since the death of the last prophets, Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the Holy Spirit departed from Israel. These three prophets lived at the beginning of the second temple era, which was about 2,300 years ago. So prophecy was around for about 1,000 years. From Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were prophets. God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, his sister, Joshua, Eli, Shmuel, Samuel, throughout the generations, Micha, Samson, or uh, his father, Manoach, his mother. But at a certain point, <coughs> it ceased. And that is really the end of the Torah. The entire Torah. We have the five books of Moses, which is one category. But all the books of the prophets, all the subsequent uh, 19 books, called the books of the prophets, books of the scriptures, were all written with prophecy. Now, you will not find out one new mitzvah in any of those books. Everything is in the five books of Moses. All of the 19 are just there to encourage and enhance and inspire us to keep the five books, to keep them the 630 commandments. They might make new laws, but not a new law as a biblical law. 
they will make a rabbinic law because that's what the Torah says to do, that to preserve in order to keep us away or into extra stuff. All right, but they did not take away or add any biblical laws. But that era ended with Chagai Zechariah Malachi, when prophecy ended. The last was Malachi, he's the last prophet. However, that being said, the Talmud's wording is Paska. Paska means departed, rather than ceased. For in truth, prophecy never totally left. Rather, it was no longer as commonplace as it had been in earlier generations. So, one way of looking at it is that the experience <coughs> is there. As long as somebody is eligible, somebody has the correct vessel to obtain that prophecy, they may able to experience it but it kind of departed not it ceased but it departed meaning it's just it's, it's not here anymore it's up there it didn't stop the concept it's just it's not in this world because or it's not as commonplace because remember there were 1.2 million over the generations that's a lot per generation but it's very hard to find somebody who fits the criteria of uh, being so wise and so humble and so uh, pious and all, you know, be able to really study these mystical ideas. It's just that we don't have the ability or it's not as commonplace. But there are individuals that experience, at least maybe not indeed the level of prophecy during biblical times, but some level of prophecy. There are various levels of prophecy, as we said. But we refer to it as, as Ruach HaKodesh, the divine inspiration, divine spirit. And we believe that many sages throughout uh, the generations did have this level of spiritual divine intuition, being able to see certain things that most people can't. They were outstanding Torah scholars, they were pious, they were humble, they were not indulge or any way invested in physical pleasures and stuff like that. They were totally devoted to spirituality. There are many such stories. Jewish stories are filled with such examples. And indeed, there were people in our history who actually were given the title Navi. Maimonides writes about this. Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid, the Rokeach. These are some names that are known to have been um, excel in this idea of knowing certain things, pr predicting the future. There's actually, when I we made our trip with my wife to uh, Poland in the summer, so we were visited the city of Lublin. There is buried, there's the grave, the, basically the cemetery is washed out, it is destroyed by the Nazis, but uh, a couple of graves are still there. And one is the grave of the Chose of Lublin, or Yaakov uh, Yitzchak, I believe his name was. And he was known as the Chose, the seer of Lublin. He lived uh, 250 years ago or so. And many stories are told specifically about him of uh, kind of being able to know certain things, just seeing the future. And one story that comes to mind is it was a butcher who wanted to, he had a bunch of animals. He wanted to know, should he sell the animals? Or should as lie live animals, or should he slaughter the animals first? But if he slaughters them, then maybe there will be trafe. Maybe the animals weren't wouldn't be healthy. They'll have a blemish, and then he would be able to sell it as kosher meat. Then he would have a loss. They didn't know what to do. Most not every animal that gets slaughtered is slaughtered. You know, ends up being actually kosher. So he came, and he was poor. He didn't want to lose too much money. So he came to the rebbe to the chose of Lublin, the seer. Says, he says, and what should we do? So the rabbi says, give me a list of all the animals with all of their uh, spots and you know, identifying signs. And he did. And he said, okay, this is kosher. This is not kosher. This is going to be a kosher animal. This is healthy. Even without looking at the animals. And he came to one of them and he says, one, I don't know. Said, what do you mean you don't know? You know everything else. He said, well, this one has a condition which is uh, debated in, the, in in Jewish law. So 
it will be brought to the rabbi after it's slaughtered. I don't know what the rabbi is actually going to to uh, rule. And the Torah is not in heaven, so they're waiting up in heaven. You know, what I see in heaven, they're waiting for the rabbi to rule. As we mentioned before, Torah is not in heaven. Torah was given to us. We don't regard any heavenly voices or anything from heaven. It's what the rabbi rules based on the teachings of halacha. There are many, many such stories. And we'll give some examples a little later. So, did it seize 100%? Well, we don't have prophets like biblical times. On the other hand, we do have some format of, some form of a prophecy of communication from God, of divine inspiration. They're not coming and saying, well, God told me to tell you, but they have access to information of the future, of advice to give that most of us don't have. But again, that is also given to someone who is eligible for that. They're worthy as listed before. Well, why indeed don't we have prophets in the same sense as in olden days? Source number 23. I hid my face from them. God in the Torah already tells us that there's going to be a time that God's face will be shining, like in the temple, in Jerusalem, in biblical times, and there's going to be a time of exile where God will hide his face. And we won't have direct great miracles, a biblical proportion, and, and direct prophecy. Here's one another idea. Prophets were unable to prophesy when they mourned or were angry. This is the primary reason why prophecy ceased during the time of exile. So this is the opinion of Maimonides in his book, Morah Nevuchim, The Guide for the Perplexed, that once uh, the first temple was destroyed, even the second temple, it wasn't like the first temple. They were they didn't have autonomy. They didn't have their own government. Most times they were under the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. For a short time, they had the, their own government under the Hasmoneans during Hanukkah, but it wasn't the same. So they were in a state of exile. They were in a state of sadness that they did not have what they used to have. So being that their joy was not complete, so divine prophecy, as we said, only comes when one is really serene and really happy. And that was no longer possible once the first temple was destroyed. So that is the reason why it ceased. That's in the words of Maimonides. Another idea is that there has to be a uh, balance of spirituality and immorality, I guess. Source 24. When the idolatrous priests were performing wondrous feats, if God's prophets wouldn't have countered them with miraculous feats, all would have turned toward idolatry. However, since idolatry is no longer much of a temptation, there is no longer a need for prophets. So back in the day, the Jewish people were really plagued by a drive, by a urge to worship idols. You think of it, like, come on, you bowing down to an idol, like they had this intense desire. Even though they had the temple and they had they had so much spirituality, but they had also idolatry, and there was a really strong Yetzirah inclination for that. And they had priests that were and prophets that would talk about from they're, they're the prophets of these idols. Amazing that some say that a grandson of Moses, his name was uh, I forget his name. His son, Moses' son was Gershom, and he had a son. Um, his name slipped my mind. Yonatan, maybe. And he, he was a kind of a false prophet for one of these idols. So if they had that, so we needed to have our prophets to counter that and kind of give the Jewish people this choice of choosing spirituality, choosing a God over uh, idolatry. But at that time, later, 2300 years ago, when it ceased, the sages convened and they prayed to God to abolish the inclination for idolatry. There's a whole interesting, fascinating story in the Talmud about that. But today, and since then, we don't find the Jewish people had a problem, had a struggle with idol worship. So being that was the case, so there was a, a balance, and also the spiritual level kind of, or the spiritual, the spiritual um, possibilities were diminished as well. 
Because if we're still going to have prophecy and there's no strong temptation for idolatry, then there's no fear, freedom of choice. Because, yeah, of course we're going to worship God. Be, you know, we, we have nothing, no reason not to. So because, just to reiterate it's a little more clear, during the first temple era or biblical times, there was a really strong temptation for idolatry. And there were all kinds of magic and stuff going on. So in order to counter that, we needed to have prophets were telling us the word of God to warn us and inspire us to do the right thing. So we had this choice who to follow. Once that temptation was taken away to serve idols, so it had to be balanced out by also taking away the prophecy. or There was no need for the prophecy, so that stopped. That's another uh, way of looking at it. That's from uh, Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid. However, there's still hope, even if we don't fit the criteria yet. Because, source 25, Moses expressed himself, if only all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would bestow his spirit upon them. And indeed, the prophet Yoel said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. It will be commonplace prophecy. And this is alluding, this is referring to the times of Mashiach, the third temple, that all Jewish people will be prophets, just like we were at Mount Sinai. And this time we'll be able to handle it. So we pray for that time, and we'll all be able to have that experience of prophecy. Source 26. The effect on one who witnessed such revelations wasn't necessarily internalized and lasting. Here's a teaching from the Rebbe, a very powerful lesson. What's the advantage of not having prophecy today? So in the times of prophets, they were very inspired, but I mean, who wouldn't be inspired if you heard from Moses himself or Jeremiah? Like The effect on one who witnessed such revelations, it wasn't internalized, it wasn't lasting. It was just whatever spiritual awakening came about was almost forced by the magnitude of the revelation. I mean, of course they're going to be swept up because there's such great revelations. <laughs> you hear God talking to you or hear from somebody who you know uh, predicting the future and everything comes true. It's amazing. But it's not so personal. It's kind of just being proven to you. When open miracles and prophecy were diminished, was the time for the Jewish people to mature and come close to God, not from some sort of imposed revelation, but rather from within their own selves. Now it's up to us to make a choice. Yes, we don't hear God saying clearly to us to keep the Torah, but we have a tradition, we have, we have a heritage, we have a system of the Torah, and we choose to believe in this, even though we don't see God in front of our eyes, and we don't have prophets right now telling us exactly so said God. It's much more internal, it's much more real. That's how the Rebbe would look at it. Always with a positive spin. So, <clears throat> just to talk, uh, this you know wraps up our lesson, but I just want to say that nowadays, um, or in, in the past few hundred years, actually Maimonides, there's a famous letter from Maimonides to the Jews in Yemen. We hear about Yemen in the news. There's uh, lots to talk about the Jews of Yemen. But Maimonides wrote a letter to them. And the letter he says that prophecy will return before Mashiach comes. And even before he gave that the year, I think it was 1216 or so, prophecy will return, or at least some level of prophecy. And definitely in the, in the last you know 800 years plus, <clears throat> all the mystics, all the Kabbalists, the Arizal, they, they were people that revealed to us so much. You go to Israel today, many of the graves were revealed to us by the saints, by the Arizal, by the Kabbalists in the north of Israel, in Sfat, lived 500 years ago. And many things that were revealed to us uh, you know, prophetic uh, vision. I mean, Jewish stories is filled with this. Recent, more recent, the Baal Shem Tov and his followers. And up until our Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe, was known to not just give blessings, but give advice and give uh, information to people that was like unheard of. Uh, you you uh, watch the interviews with the Israeli politicians or the Israeli military people, how the Rebbe was as if he was on the battlefield, knowing what's going on and, and the streets of Jerusalem. And he never even visited Israel. 
and he, he, I don't think he sat and studied this, uh, you know, the maps and so on. And and, and I just heard this uh, businessman from from England, and the Rebbe told him to go to Scotland. And he's like, I was never in Scotland. He had a whole fur issue, and, and he went there and he found the person and it needed like crazy stories. So maybe he didn't say, well, God told me, but there's this divine uh, intuition that some sort of message uh, that, that God um, gives these sages and leaders in each generation to encourage the people, to lead them, to comfort them, and give them the inspiration for their time and to give advice and help, help be a help for people. So... That's our message uh, from today's lesson. So we, dis we discussed prophecy. It's a fundamental belief in the Jewish faith. <clears throat> the role of a prophet is to be there for the people, not to initiate new laws. There's a process of being eligible, tra being trained to experience. Ultimately, it's up to God to bestow the prophecy. There's a way to test the prophets if he predicts the future accurately. And although we don't have prophecy the way we had it back then, there's some level of prophecy that is here today. So that washes away any other prophets which may have come throughout our history with all kinds of claims. If it doesn't fit within the Torah, then we know that they're false. And God is merely testing us. Thank you for joining us for Lunch and Learn number 250, and I hope you are now more knowledgeable on this topic. Thank you everybody for joining. You can take a moment to share this post, this lesson with others. This is not my teachings. This is just a collection of sources from Torah, from Talmud, Midrash, studying Torah together, educating ourselves on different topics. Have a wonderful rest of your day and Zai Gesund.